At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up? Welcome in. It's the Nightcap here in VCD Sports Betting Network. I'm Jonathan Bontobo. Wes Reynolds is here as well. Different vibe. We are filling in for Tim Murray. I am in control. Uh, more than likely, we'll crash the car today, but that's all right. It's Nightcap. It's what it's here for. Uh, good show on tap today as well. We're going to span the globe with everything in terms of sports. We have Kevin Zimmerman joining us from Arizona. We're going to talk a little NBA Finals with him. Of course, coming up later, we have Kurt Heelan. Basketball again, the topic. Not just NBA Finals, though, of course. We can talk a little U.S. Uh, basketball because you and I know heavily, mm-hmm. not invested, I think invested from an emotional standpoint, also very interested in what's going to happen. I have a couple of futures in play there. And uh, Will Hill, not that Will Hill, but Will Hill, who is our Point Trade Weekly contributor, final hour as we discuss the world of Major League Baseball, which, Wes, is where we begin. A lot of games underway. We actually just watched Shohei Otani hit the mound, got out of the top, or the, excuse me, yeah, the top of the, the bottom of the first inning. Mm-hmm. So we're at the top of the second right now between the Angels and the Athletics. As we look around the scores today, some notable scores, some notable results, uh, and some games that are underway that are not as entertaining. Red Sox, for example, beating the tar out of the Toronto Blue Jays 13-4 to at this point right now. Boston ended up closing as a small underdog here. Uh, depending on where you look, $1.24 in favor of Ross Stripling and the Jays, but that plus 114 looks like it's going to cash there. I will let you guess if the game goes over the total, closing of about 10.5. And, and we're in the bottom of the seventh inning between the Mets and the Reds. Mets coming off of a wild weekend against the Pittsburgh Pirates. It is a 7-all tie right now between the Metropolitans and your Cincinnati Reds, Wes West Reynolds. Yeah, I'm hopeful it doesn't rain in uh, Cincinnati yep. at the Great American Ballpark. Have the over on that game. And uh, kind of the early candidate, I guess, for bad beat of the night would really be the Grand Salami getting canceled. That because uh, yep. it was a rain out down there at Truist Park in Atlanta between the Padres and the Braves. So a lot of runs being scored tonight, as you mentioned, John. 13-4 to up in Buffalo, Boston over Toronto, all tied at 7 in Cincinnati. And also, Kyle Gibson, maybe his last start for the Texas Rangers. Certainly uh, getting sent out, I guess, with a bang. We'll see where he goes at the deadline. But uh, Tigers kicked the extra point. They're now up 14 to nothing here in the bottom of the 7th. Sacks back. Got to tell you, so you and I kind of handicap baseball the same way. Kyle Gibson, when I was filling in on Fall of Money last mm-hmm. week, we did like a roundup of buy low, sell high pitchers going into the second half. Kyle Gibson made the list. And, Absolutely. And, and he was not going to be like an abhorrent pitcher in the second half. But as I put it, Wes, if I remember correctly, his his XFIP coming into the second half about 399, yes. something in that range. Yes. He was a guy that was due for going from an amazing pitcher to about an average pitcher for the most part. And today, oh boy, five innings pitched, 10 hits, eight earned runs, only struck out two. It's not going to be that bad for him going forward, Mm -hmm. but he is going to, I think, continue to regress to the mean here as we enter the second half. Yeah, going into tonight, as you mentioned, John, 229 on the ERA, 389 on the XFIP. And when you have that precise of a difference, Mm -hmm. I think that there is some fades coming. And the fact that this is a guy that doesn't really strike out a lot of guys, Uh, 7.75 strikeouts per nine innings, about 2.75 on the walks, the BABIP below league average at 254. So... 
Cal Gibson, I think, is a guy that probably, maybe not a dramatic fade where he falls off a cliff, but this is a guy, obviously, the Rangers are going to try to deal here to get something for. <laughs> Joey Gallo as well. You would think the Rangers are going to be a clear seller here in the deadline over the next week and a half. Do you think the front office is like, man, you couldn't have held it together for one more start? Right, and against the Tigers, <laughs> no less. Although the Tigers, i got to say, they've been scrappy. They've been very yep. scrappy. They have not been the pits of that division, and I think they give you an honest nine innings. They're not very talented, but they've been... I think a little bit surprising. They try. They try. Yes. And it's all you can really do every day, right? Uh, how about this? And we had a little bit of an adjustment line move here before this game started. Chicago Cubs, St. Louis Cardinals. We saw an opener of about minus 110, minus 115, depending on where you shopped here for the Cardinals. The Cubs end up closing as high as about $1.20 with a total of eight and a half shaded to the over at a buck twenty. What is the Cardinals, surprising, that have a 5-1 lead right now over the Cubs? Top of the sixth inning, Woodford, five and a third, one earned run, six hits, six strikeouts, has handled the Chicago Cubs lineup to this point. Yeah, Cubs did get two or three in Arizona, and then maybe that gives them false hope. Okay, we're not going to be sellers. We're going to try to compete with Milwaukee, but... They're going to be sellers in relatively short order. Yep. Well, we have a night full of baseball. Shohei Otani's on the hill. We have a lot to get to here on the nightcap. Wes Reynolds and Jonathan Von Tobel. On the other side, we dive into the NBA Finals. Is Giannis Antetokounmpo going to lift that Larry O'Brien? What's up and welcome in. Nightcap, Jonathan Von Tobel, Wes Reynolds filling in for Tim Murray, who is on vacation. Uh, we are not going to be here throughout the week. I'll be back on Wednesday, but we have a good show on tap for you. A lot of coverage in terms of hoops. Kurt Heelan is going to be with us uh, a little bit later in the program. We'll get the national perspective on things when it comes to the NBA Finals. And also, of course, Team USA Basketball, uh, which the sky was falling for a little bit, the mm-hmm. two friendlies. Uh, but after a really solid win against Spain yesterday, seems like everything is evened out from a perception standpoint. But let's start with something a little bit more local uh, because, of course, those guys heading off to Tokyo here pretty shortly, Wes. Let's talk about the NBA Finals. That's where we begin. Milwaukee with a 3-2 series lead after what happened over the weekend. A five-point favor with a total of 222.5, depending on where you look. But we'll call that the consensus for this Game 6 coming up. But I will ask you, as we watched Game 5 unfold the other day, I wrote about this going into that game, Wes, which was the two games of Milwaukee, I thought, kind of showed you something. Mm -hmm. And the way I put it was, Milwaukee was in control heading into Phoenix. They had made adjustments that were exploiting the weaknesses of the Suns that had been there all year long. They were doing things defensively. And yes, you can give up a defensive rating of about 129 and still actually play some somewhat good defense. And they were doing things defensively against Phoenix, i.e. switching everything, right? That 1-5 pick and roll, no longer there for Chris Paul. What they were doing was replicable throughout the course of the series, and thus were in control heading into Phoenix. And sure enough, you get a quality performance from Drew Holiday, another great performance from Chris Middleton. Giannis shows up at his regular self, and you now have a 3-2 series lead coming back home. And our massive favorites now, of course, to win the NBA Finals. Yeah, and you mentioned the defensive adjustments. They've also adjusted, I think, offensively, and that's been a lot more simple because they know that the Phoenix Suns they don't have any depth behind DeAndre Ayton down low. So Milwaukee is going to get what they want at the rim, and that's what I think they've been doing, not just with Giannis, but all the guards driving the bucket, Middleton, Drew Holiday. They've been able, I think they've really figured it out a little bit offensively, 
And we kind of saw it in game three. I think it was game three where DeAndre Ayton picked up that fourth foul. Remember when he had like 12 yeah. points in like the first few minutes of the first quarter? It's like, okay, he's going to be going for like 25 and 20 tonight. He was on that base. And then he picked up a foul number three in the second quarter, sat for the rest of it. They put him out right away. Probably got a little bit of a shaky call. But nevertheless, it was foul number four. And you didn't really see him much uh, till at the end of that game. And it got out of hand. And they couldn't come back. So Phoenix almost had to go small and see if they could manufacture offense and speed the game up and not bog it down but nevertheless you know Milwaukee now has made those adjustments now we're seeing okay Monty Williams is taking the criticism that Mike Budenholzer was taking earlier in the series it's like what are you going to do about it here in, in this regard so go back to game five our game five on Saturday and really what we saw because I was wanting to take the bucks and I eventually did but I was waiting for a number because I knew it was going to go up from three and a half to four simply because every home team had won in the series not only straight up but against the spread but then and I that was like, means it's going to happen yes, in the next yes, game because the trends <laughs> trends are never broken by the way right. that's why I always say don't make the trends your friends make them your acquaintances and that's really what you need to do. And what happened was on Saturday, I was like, eh, maybe I'll get four and a half or five if people keep betting Phoenix because that was the sentiment of Phoenix. And then it's like the number didn't move off four. So it's like, okay, there's resistance here. So I know that there's absolute resistance here at somebody out there likes Milwaukee, and I do too. Didn't like him necessarily after the first 12 minutes, but nevertheless, after that first quarter, it was pretty much all bucks. And then they kind of had to hang on for dear life. So when you look at what the Bucks have done, and this is why I think that what they're doing in this series was replicable. One of the reasons why, as somebody who picked the Suns to win this thing in six before the series started, I believe this ends by the time we get to this game's conclusion tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So there's two areas in which they have really exploited. You have hit on one of them. Coming into the postseason, the Suns ranked 24th in rim protection, yes. right, in terms of opponents shooting within four feet of the basket. I thought it was going to be one of the reasons why they would lose that series to the Los Angeles Lakers. By the way, they had a lot of trouble with the Lakers in the first two games before Anthony Davis goes down, right? Um, so, the Bucs, to your point, what you've been talking about, Wes, in this series up to this point, taking over a third of their shots within four feet of the basket, shooting 67.9%. Extremely good clip for the Milwaukee Bucks. The other thing that they have done, Wes, the Suns very quietly, I don't know how this is quietly, because we don't really care about a lot of these things, entered the postseason dead last in transition defense in the NBA, right? If they're out the regular season, they were the worst team in defending the fast break. And part of that is scheme, right? When you have two guys camped in the corner yes. in terms of three-point shooting, it is hard to get people back, right, in your defense when other guys are going out and running. The Bucks have absolutely destroyed them in transition. In terms of offensive ratings in transition up to this point of the series, well over 150. Keep in mind that the team that was in first place in transition in terms of offensive efficiency of the regular season, their offensive rating was 130. That was the Utah Jazz. They have been absolutely wrecking them, not only in transition, but off of live rebounds as well. It is just snatch a rebound and go, and we are going to score. And those are two areas, which is why, as you kind of watched what happened to the two games in Milwaukee, why I kind of felt that, yeah, this is probably going to continue to play in this direction mm-hmm. because the, it's asking a Tiger to change the stripes, right? It's, hey, worst transition defense, become better. Hey, team that doesn't attack the rim because they're switching everything now, start attacking the rim more. And that's not what they do, and that's why the Suns are kind of up against it at this point right now. Do you think now that Phoenix, obviously, like you said, tough for a Tiger to change its stripes, but we know with Phoenix, based on what you said of transition defense, 
do you think for game six that they're going to slow this down, or do you think they're even going to be able to? Because we know Chris Paul can take his time on offense. He doesn't work by the hour. He walks the ball up the floor. He prefers, I think, longer possessions. Or is it too late to kind of do that? Well, see, here's the thing. So there's two, there's two issues with that, right? One, there's only 92 possessions in the last game, mm-hmm. even though it was a one, it was a max right. 123 to 119. So it wasn't game. necessarily a pace fest. Right. They were just insanely efficient, these two teams. We'll get to those player props in a moment, too, as you see them right there. But when you talk about this, Wes, it's not about slowing it down. It's about hitting your shots, right? Mm-hmm. Because well, you know, one of the things that has fascinated me, and this is why I think this has been such a fun series, because there's so many like nerdy basketball things that yes. are involved with this kind of stuff. And when you look at the way that the Suns play offensively. We think of them as a mid-range shooting team. They are a jump-shooting team. They were the dead-last team in terms of frequency of attempts at the rim. That frequency has gone down in the postseason, so they're taking even fewer attempts within four feet of the basket. And so what happens when you're taking mid-range shots and you're not hitting them? Well, those are long rebounds, which means the other team can grab them, which is why the Bucs have grabbed 51.7% of the available rebounds in the series, and that leads to transition. So it's not about slowing it down. It actually means... Attack the basket more, yeah. right? Get layups because guess what? If you start attacking the basket, if you start attempting b- buckets within four feet, yeah. that makes it easier for DeAndre Ayton to get offensive rebounds. And you have the other team in Milwaukee who is destroying you within four feet. And guess who's been destroying you on the offensive glass as a result? The mm-hmm. Milwaukee Bucks. And so I think it's not so much about slowing it down. Again, going back to asking a team that is constructed in one way to change its ways. Now you have to ask a team who took the least amount of attempts within four feet of the basket. One of the more amazing stats I didn't realize is Chris Paul had 64 attempts within four feet of the basket the entire season. The entire season. And you're asking that team now, if you want to stay in this, you got to start attacking off the bounce and get north-south. And you got to start getting within four feet of the basket. And it's just not who they are. And so they're kind of up against it. And like we see this now, spreads five, right? Total of 222 as you look to the next game. We've seen these wild swings. The Suns in the three games at home, what, four and a half, four and a half, and four and a half. And one of the things that I brought up when you went back to Milwaukee was, okay, Milwaukee's laying four and a half as well at home in those two games. Something is wrong, right? Either the numbers in Phoenix are wrong or the numbers in Milwaukee are wrong. And I think at this point now through five games, we have realized that the four and a half of the power rating of the Suns was a little too strong. Right. And now you're at this point, and five might seem like the adjustment, but I would agree with it. I think it's a fair number given the edges that the Bucks have now at this point. So are you laying it with Milwaukee or are you kind of staying away here? Because I would lean a little bit to Phoenix in the spot mm-hmm. just on the bounce back. Just try to wait and see what I can get. If I can get any higher, I don't think it's probably going to get any higher than five. If anything, it might drop because this is obviously the elimination game for Phoenix. So I would expect that they're going to get at least some support in the market. I think that there are still things the Suns are doing that are going to bother Milwaukee. So you can still get a better price in-game. Milwaukee is not going to come out win wire-to-wire. Wire. I think mm-hmm. we've seen that, and that's really clear. I mean, look, again, to give the Suns credit, you know, when I say that the Sun, the Bucks are in control, they still had an offense rating of 129.3 the other night, right? right. Devin Booker, right. the one thing they can do really well is the, the Bucks just still don't have an answer for Devin Booker. Devin Booker's the one guy who can legitimately create his own shot. But Phoenix can't stand around and kind of been right. – that's what they've been doing the last right. couple games, I think, is really just standing around. And like you mentioned, those guys, Crowder and Bridges, yeah, they're 3 and D guys, but it's tough to play that D when you just stand in the corner and you can't get back in transition. Yep, 100%. But I do think that the Suns, they're still doing things relatively well, right? On these switches, they're still finding DeAndre Ayton on smaller guys and mismatches, right? They are still allowing Devin Booker to cook against guys like a Pat Connaughton, even though Connaughton's actually playing relatively solid defense. Yes. They are still doing these things that are allowing their offense to stay pretty active and thus 
making these games competitive. So I think five is right on. I think the it's what I've been kind of doing here with some of these games and these totals. Just wait in game with these. These games yeah. are so close and nip and tuck at the beginning. A five is going to be a three and a half at some point in this game. It's kind of like the numbers off. are what they are yeah. at this standpoint. It's not like, oh, this line's going to be off. It's not going to be live off in game six of the NBA Finals. Correct. So. We talk about this all the time when it comes to the NFL, when it comes to whatever it is. By the time you get to the postseason, these spreads are tight enough, mm-hmm. right? That there's no edge in really trying to beat them one way or the other. But in game, those are this different scenarios. Those are things that change where you can find edges to beat. So from that perspective, as you look now going forward, we have these po- like these player props that we can look at. The, one of the things that I think that you do is, and again, we talk about this all the time. You got to look really deep on these things, and it's actually a shame that Tim Murray is not here because one of the trains that I have been riding, his boy Pat Connaughton, yes. has been incredible. He has been absolutely dynamic, and he is, again, this is why it helps to pay attention to little lineup changes and things like this. Going small doesn't mean just eliminating Brooke Lopez from the equation. It means that Pat Connaughton's playing 30 minutes yeah. a game, and it means Pat Connaughton's camped in the corner and shooting threes. I think it was game four that he had a plus 21, plus minus. He was, like, their mm-hmm. best player on the court. So, like, those little things in there, looking at, like, a Pat Connaughton type or something like that deeper in the in the point total props, that's where I've been going. Well, one way I would play Pat Connaughton without necessarily playing Pat Connaughton is play under P.J. Tucker and his points. Because yeah. if you've noticed, his minutes have dropped. Of course, he played a lot in the Brooklyn series because, you know, Brooklyn has a big wing in Kevin Durant that they needed a big usage wing for Tucker to defend. So that's why he played so much. Well, it carried over in the first two games in this series. Tucker, I think, was 33 and 35 minutes the first two games of the series. And the Bucks did lose both. Tucker, I think, was a 19, minus 19, plus minus. So he played less than 30 minutes in game three, and then he played less in game four. Only played 24 minutes in game five, which is lowest total in, I believe, like 17 games. Was scoreless in game four. Had a single three in game five I know it's kind of hard to take it low at four and a half points because he can just make two wide open corner threes and you're done but he's played under 27 minutes in 26 games this year I mm-hmm. think this is where you shorten the rotation this is where you got to play your big guns you know 40 plus minutes so that's going to reduce Tucker's minutes in my opinion and he's just not been getting shots because he's basically out there to play defense, and especially not only with Connaughton, but Bobby Portis is getting more minutes, and I mm-hmm. would expect him to get more minutes here in Game 6 at home. Yep, and if you, if it's funny because if you throw up those props one more time, um, there is a name that is missing from there, and that, of course, is Pat Connaughton. So I would assume that we would get him at some point uh, up on the odd sheet. Uh, you looked at the website right now. He's not offered. Uh, there will be an adjustment because yes. these games, like you've been hanging, you've been getting like seven and a half. Like that's been the pretty consensus number for Connaughton. Mm-hmm. He has consistently hit those over. Uh, in the end, look, part of it is getting those attempts. To your point about P.J. Tucker and playing these, this guy under is the fact that like the attempts have been there more. For Con- He's a more reliable shooter. Like P.J. Tucker is great in the corner of all that, but P.J. Pat Connaughton gives you a semi-decent ball handler, right? Yes. He gives you the ability to space the floor, and thus you have seen his role expand here quite a bit. And now you look at the the rest of the pieces, you know, like a Mikhail Bridges type uh, over the three and a half or over the one and a half three points. Yeah, I went back to one and yeah. a half on Saturday, and that I remember you reading your piece at Beeson.com. Yeah. I was like, that's the magic number because it got adjusted yep. because you were right on your handicapping. It went over the first two games, then it gets adjusted. 
Obviously, Bridge is a much better shooter at home than he is on the road, so then he doesn't reach those in Milwaukee, and then Saturday it goes back down to one and a half, I think minus $1.25, yep. $1.30 on the juice, and it goes over. I was like, this is a gift that keeps on giving, yep. brother. Yeah, well, and it's like the role players at home, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. one of those cliches that sometimes actually comes in. That's kind of like maybe Bobby Portis tomorrow, because that would be another one I might look at in terms of points, and I know sometimes Bobby Portis on offense can stand in the corner, and, and he had a bad defensive game in game one didn't play a lot in game two but in the three wins he's actually been very good and they've been pairing him with Giannis a little bit because Portis is a guy who can also shoot threes it's not just Brooke Lopez and Lopez and Tucker really haven't been great so he's productive I think Portis if you recall that Atlanta series he was a big key down the stretch as he was of course and especially when he got into that lineup right when Giannis was out the other two and again uh, maybe we'll get him up on the board by the time we get to game time Cam Johnson has been really solid for Mm -hmm. the Phoenix Suns, and he has hit over one-and-a-half three-point shots in four of the five games that we have played up to this point. Uh, Cam Johnson is also a guy that you would assume uh, his role is going to expand here, and it has. If you look at the first two games, 21 and 18 minutes, and you're talking about 30, 29, and 22, he has been incredible for the Phoenix Suns, but not up on the board. So we'll see if these things are up there by the time we get to game time, but I, I think this is something where you're looking at this, Wes, when you see little like names like this missing, adjustments are going to be made. Right. We'll see what the what the numbers going to be when they finally pop up on the board. And right, and I think to your point too, with some of these role players or maybe second, third, fourth options, it is very hard to play the marquee players in a prop market unless it gets mm-hmm. over adjusted. Like when Giannis had those back to back forty point games, it was like you could only play the under at thirty four and a half. He ended up with twenty six and fourteen, and that was considered a down game for him. Well, really, it was because Middleton stepped up with the offense, so they at least had another option. But casual betters, I think, do want to play the stars in these games. That's why I think you don't necessarily get a lot of value when it's a single game option like this on the stars like a Booker or like a Giannis or somebody like that. Yeah, Devin Booker, uh, 30 and a half points. That prop, Giannis Antetokounmpo, 32 and a half. The point prop available for him. Uh, Chris Middleton, 25 and a half. Drew Holiday's been an intriguing player, man. Drew Holiday has been... Uh, he doesn't show up <laughs> until Game 5, but when he shows up in Game 5, he shows up in Game 5. Boy, man. Hey, how about that? That gamble is worth it at the beginning of the season, huh? Yeah, Throughout the a- postseason, absolutely. Like, and, and even when these offensive numbers for Drew have been down and he shot the ball poorly, keep in mind he's been a very good defender yes, throughout did. this. So, you know, you're putting in that work on defense. Sometimes you're not going to shoot the ball well, but he was big when they needed him on Saturday. All right, well, when we come back, let's update the board. The Mets have the lead now the Cubs have put one on the board and we have of course the late games that are getting started on the west coast we'll have to have them much more here on the nightcap tonight cap here on Beeson the sports betting network I'm Jonathan Von Tobel Wes Reynolds um Odds at like minus six hundred that I call this show something. I'm willing to make. I'm willing to make that bet. But as long as we're here on BSN JBT, it doesn't matter where here is. Correct. Right. As long as I get the network correct. I do appear on multiple networks though, so there's that's not even a given. That's not even a given. <laughs> uh, all right, we have a scoreboard update. Couple of things. Uh, one, there is a question to be asked in this Angels game of who sent Fletcher uh, because Joey Otani laced a pretty nice double to center field, uh, and David Fletcher, I believe, was on first rounding the bases was sent home uh, but was beat by a mile on that ball now they are looking at it there's a chance that Fletcher got his foot in to home plate before 
the, the uh, tag was applied. So we'll see if that's going to be the case. That was a rope, though, by Loreano. A very nice throw. Oh, dude, it was great. No, it was a brilliant play. And uh, they are calling him out. So we're going to remain scoreless there in Oakland. Other scores and other updates here. Let's start with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago Cubs because uh, the market was um, kind of high on Chicago. Not a lot. Didn't get a massive swing here. But Chicago did go from the slight underdog to the slight favorite in this matchup before the game started. Well, the Cubs have put one on the board at this point, but it is an 8-2 to two lead for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, it has not really gone well for the Chicago Cubs. Yes, you get a little bit more confidence, as you said, taking a series from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Congrats on doing what everybody else has done. And then you take on the division rival, and you are staring an 8-2 deficit in the face top of the sixth inning at this point right now. Yeah, Cubs one game under 500. Actually, both these teams one game under 500. So St. Louis, I think, is kind of in this purgatory right now where I don't know if they're going to be a buyer or a seller. They may just stand pat and hope they get hot. But the Cubs, I think, just because they have a couple free agents, they clearly got to sell at this standpoint. I know they already traded Young Yock down to Atlanta. But you got to think Craig Kimbrell is going to get the most value he's going to get now that he's revitalized his career mm. this season. Everybody needs bullpen help. They're like second-line defensemen at the NHL trade deadline. You always need bullpen guys, so Craig Kimbrell should be on the move. As should, I think, Chris Bryant. They are both free agents at the end of the season. A uh, couple finals to get into. Uh, Washington 18-1 to <laughs> over the Miami Marlins. Six home runs for the Washington Nationals, including a two-run bomb from John Lester tonight. How about some of these uh, scores lately? It's not even today. The Padres putting up a 24 to 8. Yeah, yes. It was absolutely ridiculous what we saw over the weekend in terms of some of these scorings. And you said today, right? Today, bottom of the eighth inning, Boston 13 to 4 over the Toronto Blue Jays. Detroit Tigers, uh, not only up 14 to nothing over the Rangers, but threatening with runners on the corners right now and two outs there. How about this? Top of the first inning, we just got started. It's a 3 nothing lead for the San Francisco Giants over the Los Angeles Dodgers. Buster Posey, two-run shot. Nope. Also, Wilma Flores follows with the solo shot. It's Gaussman against Gonsolin. And Gaussman, one of those guys, you know, you kind of look and we talk about buy low, sell high. But if you've been trying to uh, sell high on Kevin Gaussman, you've been getting a lot of losing tickets. So it's yep. like, can he keep this up for the well, second half of the season? And that's funny. We could talk a little bit at length, uh, more at length. When I was doing the pitcher's report of buy low, sell high guys to look forward to in the second half, there were actually quite a few San Francisco Giants pitchers that didn't really make the cut, right. but that were worthy of consideration. Mm-hmm. Gosman, one of them, and so that's something to watch as we move forward because the 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 Giants have been one of those like hmm, like where are they coming from kind right. of teams. And then now you get this where there's a couple of pitchers that maybe there's some regression coming with them. Regardless, uh, the Giants are teamed in Gosman, a guy to keep an eye on here. Uh, by the way, we have not updated this. We are at the top of the eighth inning with two outs. Uh, your Cincinnati Reds. Uh, it did look like, I think they took, what, an 8-7 to seven lead over yes. the Metropolitans, but a two-run shot from James McCann, Conforto scores on it, gives the Mets a 9-8 to eight lead right now. Again, top of the eighth inning against the Cincinnati Good old-fashioned mash fest at the Great American Ballpark, which you usually get in the summertime in Cincinnati. So that Reds bullpen strikes again, and that's why... I have. They're kind of one of those teams in purgatory because they can obviously score a lot of runs. Winker an All Star season, Castellanos an All Star season, and they've got some decent young prospects. But this bullpen has been terrible all year, and that's why I'm not necessarily a buyer. And they go catch the Milwaukee Brewers, which is the only way they're going to make the playoffs in the National League. So Nick Castellanos could be a piece that's going to be dealt here. Obviously, the Reds took a home sweep to, at the hands of the Brewers this weekend, and now down nine to eight here in the top of the eighth against the Mets. Yeah, there's a chance. It's funny. This thing has kind of flipped on its head before it looked like they were out of the running 
running. It's five and a half games to make up here in the second half, but five and a half games back of the second wild card. Now seven behind the Milwaukee yeah. Brewers. So that, the National League, it's crazy because these NL West teams have created such a gap between the others mm-hmm. that it's either win your division or get out. And yeah, it because like it feels like, well, you're only six or seven back. you got to be going for it, but it's almost like you're probably not going to catch these guys. So Cincinnati, we'll see what they elect to do in the yeah, next we're like couple 90-ish, weeks. We're like 93-ish games into the season. So yes. got to pick up here. All right, when we come back, we're going to get back to hoops. Not the NBA Finals, though. The sky was falling. It was all over. Multiple people tell me they're not even going to medal Wes Reynolds. Well, Team USA has kind of <laughs> turned things around here. Strong win over the, over the uh, Spaniards yesterday. We'll talk about the futures in the Olympics when we come back. College football season right around the corner. It means the VC College Football Betting Guide is coming soon. I have turned in all of my work. I'm already done. You slacker, Wes. You haven't turned anything in, you know? Our experts I'm look- holding up the ravishing here, so blame me, guys. Our experts look at the impact of the transfer portal, key games on the schedule, and early season trends to watch. So you have a betting edge this football season. The guide is only $19.99, and discounts are available when you buy early. So now is the time to reserve your copy or sign up for VEASAN All Access and get everything we have to offer for the entire football season. Sign up now at VEASAN.com. Slash subscribe. Yes, the NBA senior analyst actually contributed to the college football guide. And there was rumbling that I might contribute to the NFL guide as well. You are a man for all seasons, John uh, Von Tobel, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. I like other things. I like other things. Don't get me started on Call of Duty Warzone. Don't get me started. All right, I'm not good at it. All right, so we uh, we were talking about the. I, I think I I like Olympic basketball a lot yes. because I think FIBA basketball is really refreshing when it's played at a really high level. Mm-hmm. And when you watched even yesterday. So Team USA gets a big win. Uh, they end up winning by eight. Uh, is seven over Spain, if I remember correctly? There's a little bit yes. of a beat on the, to- on the, uh, yes. the side there uh, because Spain gets in the back door a little late. But regardless, the Americans get a really solid win in the last friendly against Spain. They're going to head to Tokyo now, and things get started next week. But when you looked at this overall, we saw with USA basketball at the beginning the loss to Nigeria, right? The loss to Australia. The sky is falling. Mm-hmm. This team is not going to medal. There's a couple of things that go into this, Wes. This is a team. This is not I think one of the more amazing little stats that I saw. The Spanish team that they played yesterday, they still had members from the 2008 yes. gold medal game. <laughs> like, you know what I yes. mean? Yes. Like, there were still guys who were playing. Pal Gasol, he's out there. He looks like he's 75. It's about, incredible. About uh, Rudy Fernandez yes. still out there. Uh, Marc Gasol, yep. Sergio Rodriguez. So. And then we know that like FIBA basketball is like steroids for Ricky Rubio. So you're mm-hmm. going to get a better version of Ricky mm-hmm. Rubio. But regardless, the point to me was when you watch the first two games, you watch the friendly against Argentina, and you watch that second and third quarter against Spain, this is a team that just need to get used to everything. Yes. These are guys that do not play together. These are guys that are still getting used to the rules. I think it was Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports had the report that they had to get used to it. And it's funny because if you watch this game in detail yesterday, you kind of saw in the second quarter a light kind of click. And they were like, oh, wait, as long as I don't just like wind up and hit a guy, yeah. I can actually yeah. kind of get a little rough here. Yeah. And when the physicality checked in and they started to get used to it, that switch-all style was working beautifully. They Even when they were getting matchups like Jason Tatum on Marcus Saul, they were doing just fine with those, West. They went after Spain, uh, gaming a little, little bit, and that's going to be a little bit of a problem because they're switching everything defensively. But regardless, once you saw them get used to the physicality in terms of them playing it themselves, and on the other end they started hitting open shots, they opened this game up. I think they led as much by 14, 16 points, and they ultimately win this thing comfortably. This, is, this team is still going to be 
perfectly yes. fine once they get to the Olympics. And, it, and it bears repeating. I know some of the national media reacted accordingly uh, after they lost to Nigeria and they lost the first two exhibition games uh, to Australia as well. They only have nine guys right now, and, and these weren't the nine guys they even started with, of course. Right. Kevin Love uh, now out. And, uh, we get the news today. Also, Zach Levine has in COVID protocol. And Bradley yep. Beal, so they had to replace him with uh, uh, Keldon Johnson and obviously JaVale McGee in for Kevin Love. JaVale. They only have nine guys on this roster right now because you've got three guys that are otherwise engaged mm-hmm. in the basketball world playing game six of the NBA Finals tomorrow. Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and also uh, Devin Booker. So... You got to give it a little bit of time, and this team maybe peaks after after group play. So it'll be interesting to see because how quickly those guys get over there. If this wraps up tomorrow, then they're on a flight to Tokyo. If not, right. then Game Seven is Thursday, so maybe they miss the first game in group play against France. So, and here there's a couple of things that we should note too for those who are not familiar with it. Uh, the Olympic basketball tournament it does have a little bit of a new look this year. In the past, group stage would consist of two groups, six teams. Uh, this year, it is three groups of four teams. Like any other competition of group play, top two in each group will mm-hmm. move on. Caveat is the next two third-place teams, best third-place teams, will then yes. make their way into the knockout stage. So even if there's a chance, you know, like one of the futures bets that I had made, just because it was a pretty off-market, you know, I have Nigeria at 100-1, to right? Mm-hmm. And a team like Nigeria, uh, who's in a relatively tough group, you know, maybe they don't make their way out in terms of the top two, but they're probably going to be that third-place team that makes their way through to the bracket in the knockout stage. But that's very important in terms of what you're looking at from the format and the game itself. Like we talked, like there are different things. Ten-minute quarters, right? They're not 12. Uh, you have rules that are so much more geared to defense. There is no three-point rule, so it's going to be like, or excuse me, three-second rule. So you can have a guy planted in there. There's no goaltending, which is something that I think a lot of people are not getting, getting balls snatched off the cylinder. Right. It's geared to be physical and a little bit more defensive, and you see low-scoring games. Like, I saw a lot of disingenuous stuff yesterday, like, oh, the Americans only got 18 through the halfway through the second quarter. I think the Spaniards had, like, 24. Right. Like, like, let's, right. Let's be like, come on. Let's a lot of the a national bit. media hot takes, of course, because that obviously draws. It's like, we're the dominant nation in the world, and they lost to Nigeria. Well, one of the things that has happened, too, and look, I'm still with you on, on the Americans, and I'm hopeful that price drops a little bit because I'd like to get a piece of it. Mm-hmm. But the world is catching up in basketball, guys, or have we not watched the last couple Olympics where we've seen Team USA with some of the best players in the world, life and death with these teams, that, that game against Spain, the game um, against France. How about France. the last three MVPs in the NBA? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Yeah, and it's like you're life and death with these teams for a reason because this is a different style of game. The rest of the world, by the way, has good players, and they have NBA players too. So, and to give you an idea too, by the way, uh, Group A, Iran, France, USA, the Czech Republic. Group B, Australia, Germany, Italy, and Nigeria. Group C, the final group, is going to be Argentina, Japan, Spain, and Slovenia. So have you been into So the two things I have, I have Australia at 20 to 1 and Nigeria at 100 to 1. Really, the Nigeria play was, again, William Hill was pretty off market. Everybody else has Nigeria in the range of about 40 to 1 uh, in, in that kind of space, right, from 25 to 40 to 1. You can still probably, I think I haven't checked mm-hmm. to, in the last few hours, but believe that that 101 is still out there in Nigeria, but those are the two bets I have up to The only point. thing I have is a prop, and it's yeah. a small plus money prop of the Aussies, the Boomers, to medal. They have not yet yeah, medaled in the them, Olympics. Yeah. Yes, and, and the best they finish is fourth. I think they're going to get a medal, and I know Spain has kind of been priced on the odds board, but now that's been adjusted because of guys like JVT betting it, because I was looking to see, okay, is there an Australia out there that might be like 12 to 1 or something like that, or you know, 15 and 16 to 1? Those are obviously gone. Spain's but, being 
price like, hey, it's Spain. Like I know. Australia old, is the biggest threat to Team USA. <laughs> right. Make no mistake about it because they've got really good players. They spread the floor. They understand how this game works. Uh, shoot very well. Of course, Aaron Baines, Dante Exum, Josh Green, Joe Ingles, Patty Mills. Patty Mills is like Ian Poulter in the Ryder Cup. In international basketball, he is unstoppable. Also, Matisse Thybulle, but not the other Australian from the Sixers. I think he really should have made the trip over, but he did like oh, they, they'd be they'd be freaking yeah. Be I really think it good. would have been good for him. I don't know what his injury status or what his psyche is right now, so I don't want to judge. But I do think international basketball would have been good for Mr. Hey, Simmons. Three point lines closer. Yes, it would have built the confidence, right? Take some three point shots, get that confidence in there, Ben. Come on now, come on. All right, so we'll, be, we'll move away from that. I'm really excited. Hey, let, let's talk a little bit more hoops. Get back to the NBA Finals. Kevin Zimmerman out in Arizona is going to join us. Get the uh, local perspective on a series that has gotten out of hand for the Phoenix Suns. Indeed's instant match searches through millions of resumes and Indeed's database to deliver candidates who fit your job description instantly. More at Indeed.com slash credit. Tonight, Cap here on VCN, the Sports Betting Network. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel, Wes Reynolds filling in for Tim Murray and uh, the mystery guest that is always in this spot, whoever it may be on a night-to-night basis. Kevin Zimmerman joins us now. Uh, Kevin, of course, uh, editor of AZ Sports, Suns podcast as well, Empire of the Suns, where you can check it out, K Zimmerman AZ up on Twitter. So, Kevin, we appreciate the time. Uh, so let us start with this. When it comes to this series, what has changed over the last three games for the Phoenix Suns that made them lose control of this series and lose three consecutive games? What has been the biggest difference over these last three in your mind? I just think they've gotten away from playing how they usually do, and that's moving the ball, um, sharing the ball. And Chris Paul is a big deal of that. Obviously, he hasn't really looked like himself lately. And, it, and you know, if you watch him, it looks like injury is a big part of that. But They've won when Chris Paul hasn't been 100% in these playoffs, even the regular season at little points. So I, I just think that, you know, finding, you know, seven contributors who play decently, average even, um, to good, I, I think is a thing that they need to find. And that's defensively to start things. But offensively, they've the numbers look good, I think. But I think it's just a little out of character how much, especially Devin Booker's been carrying them um, these last two games. So when, let's focus on Chris Paul really quickly because what are the when you talk about them playing better and Chris Paul sp- specifically, right? We talk about the wrist injury. One of the things that I think this, the Bucks have done well when they go to that small ball, right? That one five pick and roll that Chris loves to exploit is no longer there. W- what have the Bucks done to stymie Chris outside of the Suns' own failings? W- what are the Bucks doing to stymie them in certain offensive possessions? Yeah, I mean, when it's Chris specifically, I think it really is. The the Suns are a rhythm team, and they turn great defensive possessions into great offense. And obviously they haven't been getting stops, but when you take it back to the other end of the court offensively, I think um, Chris Paul plays really abruptly sometimes, and he's even admitted in the Clippers series, you know, he needs to get the ball up quicker, that kind of thing. And give credit to Drew Holiday. I mean, his pressure... Um, just kind of full court, you know, it's not, you know, super intense, but it, it gets the offense out of whack. And then they have maybe 12 seconds to just get a shot off really. And that's been a huge deal. I, I think the Suns in this past game, game five, they looked a little bit better as far as Chris getting the ball up quickly, them getting into offense. Um, 
But obviously when he's not right, when he's not getting mid-range opportunities, when they're just sitting on three-point shooters and he can't score, then that puts a lot of pressure on Devin Booker to get other guys involved and, and kind of carry the offense when he needs to. So I think that's the biggest thing is finding how, if Chris Paul isn't 100%, how Devin can kind of get other guys involved while also targeting the Bucks himself. So, Kevin, I was asking my partner John here about this because one of the keys, I think, this turnaround is obviously the Bucks are pushing in transition and Phoenix haven't, hasn't had an answer. And, you know, you, when you only have one big guy down low, you're going to give up these shots four feet from the rim and Milwaukee's going to hit them and Giannis is getting to the rim, Middleton's getting to the rim, et cetera, et cetera. So they're going to try to continue to push the Suns in transition. Do you think the Suns right now are just kind of forced at this standpoint to go ahead and get into a track? meet with these guys because they've tried that ISO ball on the offensive end and it is not working right now. Yeah, I mean, I saw your guys' preview and our preview on our website. It's kind of the same where it's the Suns actually in half court are, are doing better than the Bucks, but those transition opportunities are just killing them. Um, the, the Suns do need to get in transition, but then again, that's I mean, you have to if you're them, but the turnovers have been the issue, right? Because you can pick your spots, and if you pick them well and you score, then you're in a fine spot. But if you force things, if you push the ball and force passes and don't see passing lanes and all that, then you're really killing yourself. So it's it's really that fine balance of finding the right opportunities to push it, not putting yourself at risk for it going the other way if you don't succeed, and not taking bad shots or long threes that like just get bumped out, and then the bucks are off and running, and obviously you don't want Giannis in the full court just, you know, train tracking on people. So one of the things, Kevin, that I think kind of ties into that, right, and that has stuck out to me, which is, you know, when you're shooting a lot of mid-range jumpers, when you're shooting jumpers in general, jumpers tend to lead to longer rebounds. Those are easier to snatch down, right, and get out in transition. It's where the Bucks have kind of been killing them. One of the things that I've wanted to see from Phoenix is more consistent attacks at the rim. And you can do that in transition, right, when you're getting out and running. They don't do it a lot in the half court, though. It, like, and I kind of likened it to a Tiger changing its stripes, where this is the team that finished last in rim frequency in the regular season. Chris Paul is not a guy who attacks north-south. Like, is that something that is in their bag that they can start to work here a little bit more in those half-court situations? Yeah, that's a really good question, too. I mean, I was talking about campaign the last two games because Chris Paul, obviously, even if he's right, he's not a guy who puts pressure on the rim. Um and, and campaign as not great as he's played. He's had moments where the offense just looks different. He he threatens the rim. He missed a couple of floaters and layups the last game, but it, it did. It surprises you when he gets there because it's like, oh, they have someone else other than maybe Devin Booker who can do that. I, I think the one thing for them that they can do to open up and put pressure and gravity on the rim is find DeAndre Ayton, get him more involved, and it's partially him. But it's also Chris Paul has to be part of that, right? I mean, he has to get D.A. to take hard dives, put pressure on the rim, and then that's going to open up your three-point shooters. The Suns talked about it today in their press conferences. Just they didn't take very many. They haven't been taking very many threes. They took 19 last game, I believe. And that's just really a thing that comes from, as you said, rim pressure. So I think D.A. is the obvious one. Campaign can give you, you know, the change-up from Chris Paul, but I – I wouldn't expect Monty Williams to go away from Chris Paul for long stretches, obviously, just considering the stakes, considering that he's a guy you're going to have to ride with just because, you know, he's the vet, he got you here, and you, you hope that he has a big game. 
Kevin, to your point, and we kind of go, obviously, through analytics. My partner, John, does a great job of that here at Visa and really going deep in the analytics. But I'm going to be a little more simple with these numbers. If you look at the three-point totals in this series for the Phoenix Suns, 34, 40, then it goes down to 31, 23, and 21. That is very simple math to me. And the Phoenix Suns, look... When they were cooking, they got to hit threes. That's their way they're going to win this game because they just don't have the resistance uh, at the rim. So would you expect, I mean, even if it's going to be more of an up-tempo game where they're not going to get stuck in that ISO and that they just basically got to bomb threes tomorrow because that's really been their best recipe for success? Yeah, I mean, they, they again, they, they kind of alluded to that where that's about ball movement, but I think the, the challenge is, does Devin Booker start, you know, attacking and passing out, and then you get a couple swings? I think the the best offensive possession on in Game Five was him attacking through it to the corner, and then like one or two passes later, they got an open three. So that's definitely something they can do, and they don't have to necessarily be in transition to do that, but they got to at least have Booker thinking about that. You got to have Chris Paul, you know, not air mailing passes to the corner so they can make good passes and secondary passes and all that. So I think. They, they realize the deficits. They might not win the offensive boards. They might not win transition just because of the personnel and how good Milwaukee's playing right now. Um, they, they do got to get Jay Crowder, who had a good start and then kind of went away. Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, those guys are the keys. And I think when you go back to like game one and two, those guys were the keys. When you said Mikel has a big game, you feel really good if you're the Suns, but those wings just haven't really had the big performances. And I know that's not to say that you should expect 25 points from Kel Bridges, but one of those guys has to go off, I think, in this next game. Kevin Zimmerman with us again. Uh, K Zimmerman, AZ, 98.7, Arizona Sports. Uh, all right, let, Kevin, we've talked, we've focused a lot on offense. Have we just kind of uh, likened this to like, hey, man, like they're not slowing down Milwaukee. What is the key there? Because Milwaukee offensively, the rim pressure, they've dominated the rim on both ends, but the rim pressure that they can apply here to Phoenix has been unreal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think 58% this past game shooting overall is not something that you should be happy with, even if you have flaws, even if Milwaukee's playing out of their minds. Um, it, just watching the film back, I thought like Drew Middleton and, or sorry, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton's mid-range jumpers, a lot of them were fairly contested, um, but they got going obviously, and you just can't let them get that comfortable where they're going to hit start hitting contested shots because they get off to hot starts. So. I think that the Suns didn't play awful, awful defense, especially, obviously, not the entire game. They came back, made it a one-point game very late. Um, but you're going to have concessions, and at some point it's just a matter of you get a couple misses from those mid-range shots. I mean, I think Giannis is going to get his. Um, the, the bench has quietly done well with Portis and Connaughton, I think, for the Bucks, They've outplayed the Suns bench guys, so... You just got to have a little win here or there, add those up, and I think the Suns would be happy to let the Bucks shoot 50% um, and, and just have a close game down the stretch, and then you just hope that Book has enough in him in the tank, Chris Paul can make enough plays, whatever injuries he's dealing with, and you just go dueling late in the game. I think that's kind of their recipe, recipe for success at this point because – I just think the Bucks are playing at an unreal level right now, and even if you take away a couple of their awesome makes and awesome plays, then um, it's going to be a close game if the Suns are at least playing sort of close to where we think they're capable of, even if Chris Paul's hurt again.
Kevin, we got less than a minute left. Your gut, what does it say? Larry O'Brien going to Milwaukee on Tuesday, or are we extending this out to Thursday? Ooh, I, this might be a homer thing, just being in Phoenix, but the Suns have been resilient. Um, I wouldn't expect them to flop. I think I'd be really surprised if they flopped, even though they've lost three in a row, which has been kind of shocking for us who have covered the team this whole year, but I think that they, you know, scrape one out, a close one, and, you know, I I can't say that I'm confident in the Suns winning two in a row, absolutely not, but I think they can scrape one out, um, and as a basketball fan, I think everyone would be fine with that. Again, Kevin Zimmerman, editor, Cardinal Suns, and reporter for other sports over at AZ Sports up on Twitter. That's 98.7 Arizona Sports. Kevin, thank you for the time. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, guys. You, you got, got it. Kevin. Again, K Zimmerman AZ up on Twitter. Uh, let's keep with this uh, as well in terms of this vibe. Uh, let's get the national perspective. Not only on this USA basketball, too. Kurt Heelan's going to be with us of NBC Sports. Tonight, Kevin, you're on BC.